This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 3rd, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. As Congress debates precisely how and if they'll repeal Obamacare, there are some actions that state governments can take in the interim to get out from under some of the law's mandates. Sal Nuzzo is vice president of policy at the James Madison Institute. We spoke in Nashville in October. I'm not sure exactly where this comes from, but there's a phrase, you know, what good is money if the store shelves are empty, right? So in terms of healthcare, you draw this distinction between uh, coverage and care. And the uh, Affordable Care Act focused very much on coverage, not so much on care. And it focused on the promise, which is what coverage is, which is a promise of care. And sometimes that doesn't pan out exactly. So what are some reforms that states can do that will provide better access to care uh, without regard to coverage? At the state level, there are substantive policy reforms that can move the needle in the direction of providing more market-based solutions to healthcare access and healthcare provision. Uh, first and foremost is uh, the concept of direct primary care. Uh, direct primary care is truly can be transformative in the healthcare arena. And this is where uh, a group of doctors or a practice in an area uh, decide to package uh, a series of services uh, and, and what you would typically go to your primary care physician for, things like uh, wellness checks, uh, annual visits, blood work, those types of things. And you essentially pay a monthly fee. It's a very small fee, anywhere from 50 to $75 a month. And you get all of those services essentially covered in the context of that subscription fee. Um, what this does is when it is paired with a, uh, a catastrophic care plan and a health savings account, it's completely, uh, it satisfies the mandates under the Affordable Care Act. So it's, it's completely legal under Obamacare. And what it does is it separates out primary care services from your specialty services and your catastrophic things that you would uh, kind of look at for things like cancer and, 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 and other forms of, of major medical services. We look at direct primary care much in the same way that you would approach the care and maintenance of your automobile. So you have uh, kind of oil changes, rotate, rotate the tires, all of the types of things that you would typically do and pay out of pocket for when you're caring for your car. And then you have the kind of catastrophic things that, that occur. So you look at uh, kind of transmission and collision and all of those things. You approach the, uh, the provision of those things very, very differently. And the same thing can be true and should be true of healthcare. And we just don't do that currently in the United States. And it's something that we need to move in the direction of. So direct primary care is the first step in looking at how we uh, kind of shift the model for healthcare in that direction. So splitting up. I mean, insurance exists for the purposes of dealing with events that might bankrupt you. Correct. Right. That's what insurance is for. Absolutely. So uh, in terms of uh, the state-level reforms, you say that this is legal under Obamacare. Does this subscription to a primary care doctor who presumably is going to have 
some range of services that your subscription buys you on some regular basis, checkups, strep cultures, probably things yep. like that, that um, uh, you wouldn't seek out uh, insurance to pay for. Absolutely. And that's the key to this is that in the direct primary care model, you get a one page front and back list of all of the things that you can go to your primary care physician and that are covered in the subscription. And it's everything that you just kind of articulated in, then some. And, and some of the DPC models include things like mammograms, prostate exams, uh, things that you would um, kind of uh, that you wouldn't think would be something that would be covered in a, in a primary care model, but they are. And the reason why is incorporating those into ordinary primary care services, it decreases the cost on maintenance way down the road. So what it does is you put those on the front end and you uh, begin to move toward a model where you're thinking about those things well in advance of when you might actually have problems down the road. And uh, it, it is truly potentially transformative in in the access to health care and the provision of health care in the United States. Do these subscription services count as coverage for the purposes of the Affordable Care Act? Within the Affordable Care Act, and it is expressly articulated in that 2,200-page bill, that when you pair a direct primary care subscription with a catastrophic care plan and and uh, you don't necessarily have to do a health uh, health savings account, but we would certainly advocate for that just at a you know fiscal principle. When you pair it with a catastrophic care plan, it satisfies the mandate, perfectly legal, and it has the um, the effect of actually bending the cost curve as opposed to what Obamacare did, which was just um, create a coverage system whereby costs are going up. So when you pair uh, a primary care provider subscription service with a catastrophic coverage plan, and you mentioned a health savings account, what you're really talking about is just a high deductible plan that covers some serious uh, medical problems that you could have that probably would bankrupt you. Sure. And and, and the only thing I would uh, kind of um, talk through is when we talk about high deductible plans, currently most of the exchange plans that folks are buying uh, on Obamacare exchanges are extremely high deductibles. Uh, you're talking six, ten, twelve thousand dollar deductible plans. There uh, are um, catastrophic care plans with deductibles as low as twenty five hundred dollars out there that that can be purchased at a much lower rate than the full-blown uh, ACA exchange insurance plans. And that's really why uh, the model is so much more attractive from a fiscal perspective. Uh, the model exists by separating out your primary care services from the catastrophic services and you pay for them differently, and that is in the uh, and that is where you get all of the kind of um, uh, reduction in the actual provision of care. How many states have uh, have done this? Move toward 
if not uh, allowing this outright encouraging people to, to look into it? Because I know a lot of physicians are moving to cash only, and that may be very attractive for physicians and patients alike who don't want to worry about compliance costs or doctors who don't don't want to take Medicaid patients that, that otherwise shuts people out entirely of having access to a primary care physician. Sure. Well, um, this is really a consequence or an outgrowth of the concierge care model, uh, like you mentioned, where doctors are moving to cash only, doctors are moving to where they make house calls and charge a, uh, you know, a, a premium on those services. The market exists for doing something along those lines, but in a much more mass-marketed way. And so uh, a number of states um, have begun to encourage this. It's, it's allowed in every state. The policy issue behind this, though, at the state level is it needs to be in statute that it is separate and apart from traditional insurance, and it is not regulated by uh, the Office of Insurance Regulation in the state. Uh, when you get uh, insurance regulators into the mix on direct primary care, uh, it will inevitably get co-opted in a way that uh, is going to just increase the costs of that and completely uh, distort the model that exists that could be um, a, a real fundamental solution. What type of savings are we talking about in terms of uh, for states that otherwise would be expanding Medicaid, uh, states that uh, otherwise might have to assume a large share of the costs of, of expansion? There are models out there that project that if a state were to simply purchase a direct primary care subscription for everyone in the Medicaid expansion gap, it would be cheaper than what it would cost for them to actually expand Medicaid and take the federal dollars. Sal Nuzo is Vice President of Policy at the James Madison Institute. You can rate and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.